I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Good morning. I always want to say good morning, even though you may be listening to this at any point in the day because I record at Odark 100. So So I'm saying good morning. Uh, Thank you for being here. Thank you, as always, for your support. I wanted to let you guys know, too, a very exciting thing happened. I am moving as... By the time you hear this recording, I will have moved already, but Pascal and I found a little stone cottage in the middle of the woods, and I'm so excited. Uh, We'll be... We have six acres and then hundreds of acres of state trust around us. Um, So excited about it. We're going to go full on feral, and I'm hoping there will be rumors. Anyway, what I want to talk about today is, I don't even know what to call it, finding the real thing underneath the thing you think it is. And that's kind of a clunky title. (laughs) So in the last podcast, you know, I talked a lot about the praise and finding the thing underneath the praise. So instead of praising your kid for going down the slide, praise them for, you know, overcoming their fear of heights, praise them for the work that went into it, right? You want to compliment the right thing. You want to encourage the effort and what was behind the outcome. Well, there's a similar parallel going on right now in parenting, and it's so rampant You know, we talk about it in my meetings with the OCAP consultants. I talk about it with other parenting experts, you know, in the in the space of parenting work. And it's parents who are asking the wrong question about an issue or a problem with their kid or their family dynamic. It's this issue is like smacking me in the face, which is why I was like, Jesus, I got to do a I got to do a podcast about this. Any business person is going to tell you that 90% of your stuff is in asking the right questions, right? And I know this when I consult with people is like, it's asking the right questions will lead you to the right solutions. If you're not asking the right questions, then you're not, you're not ever going to get to the right solution. And there's a chain of whys, like why, why is this a problem? Why is this a problem? And oftentimes when I'm working with a client, they'll say, you know, like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's holding her pee. She's holding her pee for three hours. And I'll go, okay, why is that a problem? Because that's too long to hold the pee. Okay. But why is it a problem? Is she having accidents? No, 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 no. She's not having accidents. Does she look uncomfortable? No, she doesn't look uncomfortable. Okay. Then it's not a problem, right? Because maybe the kid can hold her pee for three hours. So that's just an example of 
you know, how this why, like if you keep doing why, you end up sort of reverse engineering your problem. And, you know, if you've read, oh crap, I have a toddler, you know, my whole spiel throughout that book, if there's one through line, it's that behavior is a symptom. It's not a disease, right? So when you see crappy behavior in your kids, there's always something underneath it. It's a symptom. The root cause is the quote unquote disease. And of course, Disease is a heavy word for what I'm talking about, but but it it holds true, right? Now, behavior is tricky because three-year-olds, two, three, four-year-olds, they have this like kind of psychotic behavior. <laughs> they kind of go nuts, right? And we can't always track it. And you know my work by now, I hope by the time you're listening to this podcast episode, you know my work enough to know that I really... I feel like there's old school and new school. We want to do all the background things to get good behavior, right? But we also have to deal with it sometimes in a in an old school kind of way up front. You know, you have to like, you have to lower the boom on the child because, you know, you can't, or, you know, you need to leave the market or you need to use the go to your room strategy because you can't have your kid bleeding their behavior all over the house and disrupting the house. But we always want to be working on the root core, the root cause. And I think that is the root cause is always the basis of like the gentle parenting movement um, this, you know, no discipline is we want to hit the root cause. Unfortunately, you, you know, that takes a lot of time. And meanwhile, you don't want your kid like ripping up your house or I've worked with kids like who throw dishes at their parents' heads. I'm seeing this pa- parents are presenting with a problem and it's the wrong problem. So I want to give you some con- concrete examples because this is a whole shift in thinking. And I think it will really change the way you think about issues, not only with your kid, but with friends, partners, um, spouses, and business transactions. I think it's super tremendously helpful in all aspects. So here's a classic example that keeps coming up. And I know I don't often talk about potty training on this podcast because it's my parenting work, but this is such a good example that I think a lot of parents can resonate with. And it has to do with nighttime potty training, okay? And what will happen invariably is every every person has a 4.30 to 5.30 a.m. pee inside them. We all do. Some of us know it and we can hold it. Some of us get up and, you know, go back to sleep very easily. So the paradox, of course, is when you're training your child to use the toilet, you're training them to recognize the signs within themselves that they have to go pee. So that happens not always at the best times. <laughs> so what happens is a parent will consult with me and they'll say, you know, I, this kid's waking up at 530 in the morning. I can't deal with it. I just like, this is too early and you need to help me make him not pee. So there's really faulty thinking in presenting the problem as, can you help me make him not pee? Or can you help me strategize to have him not pee? Not peeing is not the problem. The peeing isn't the problem. The child waking up, that's good, right? So we go through this why process. Why is this a problem? Because they're waking up too early. Why? Well, they're missing out on sleep. Okay, what's their regular wake up? Well, 6.30. Okay, so they're missing out on an hour of sleep. That's not horrific. You know, you can make that up in nap time or the other part of the day, the later part of the day and putting them to bed. Why? You know, but it's just too early. Why? Why is it a problem? Because I'm not ready to get up yet ah, okay, there's the problem. The problem is not a potty training problem. The problem is a stay in your room problem. That's a different problem. And I'll tell people, oh, okay, this isn't a potty training issue. This is a stay in your bed, stay in your room issue. So then we'll go through the solutions of get a baby gate, close the door, get a wake up clock that, you know, turns green when the child's allowed to leave their room. If the child were to wake up, put their pee in the potty and play quietly with their toys, would you even know it was a problem? No. So the problem is it's too early for you. Okay. Solve that 
problem. So the faultier thinking is not only are you not asking the right question and like, I don't want the kid to pee at 530 in the morning, that problem doesn't have a solution. I have no magic wand to control your child's pee muscles. That's just a blanket statement I make to all my clients. <laughs> I do not have a magic wand. So no one can make a person pee or not pee, which again is what makes potty training such a crazy milestone. It's your child literally holds all the power, right? But there's this magical thinking that there's some trick out there that would make your child not pee at this time. So that that's the other thing is there's this searching, I'm finding in current parenting, and I don't know, it really seems to have been since the pandemic. So maybe it is just a result, a weird tangential result of the pandemic, but parents looking for non-existent solutions. Yeah. So again, that's the, the, the biggest problem there was that the child was waking the parent. Let's go through another example. And this one I hear from parents all the time, you know, psycho mom. So we all go psycho mom. We all lose our shit and sometimes psycho dads. But generally speaking, I'd say the majority is psycho moms, right? And let's say, let's use the example of five o'clock at night, pick up your toys. The child's not listening to you or the children aren't listening to you and you lose your shit. Yeah. You go nuts. And then you hate it. You feel awful because you did all the things you know you're not supposed to do. You said catastrophic things. You never pick up your toys. You never listen to me. I I can't get a break here. You guys are all over the place. Pick up your toys. You, right? You go full on psychoma, right? Then you come to me and you say, this, they need to listen to me. They need to pick up their toys when I ask them to. Okay, I'm going to throw caution to the wind here and say, picking up their toys was not really the issue. Yeah. Let me go off on a really random side note here for one second. Talk about problems. I mean, talk about solutions that don't exist. I can't tell you the amount of people who come to me and say they need to listen to me on the first time. Dude, it is not going to happen. Stop wishing it to happen in the history of listening and kids and parenting. No kid has listened the first time. Yeah. And some kids are great. Some kids are like, okay, mommy, but they have other traps. So stop wishing for this. And it's really funny because it's usually the most super gentle parents, you know, and they're like, I don't want to discipline at all. And they need to listen to me the first time. I'm like, maybe if you beat them, you will get them to listen on the first time. But we don't do that, do we? No. So like you're asking for the most authoritarian outcome with the loosey-goosey input and it just doesn't work. So anyway, it's just back to that like unrealistic thinking, right? But let's look at the problem. So is the problem, why? Why are you upset that they didn't pick up their toys? They didn't listen to me, so I lost control. They made me lose control. I'd argue that statement, but that's what parents say. They made me lose control. Okay, and why was that bad? Well, because I was a screaming banshee. And parents hate this, by the way, because they this seems so obvious, but we have to break it down this way. So why, why is screaming like a banshee? Why is that such a bad thing? Because I feel like I'm a terrible parent and they're, they're feeling psychologically unsafe. I did all the wrong things. You're, you know, I know we shouldn't go psycho like that with our kids. Okay, great. So the solution isn't pick up the toys. The solution is how the, the problem, I would say, is why did you go psycho, right? Because that's the real thing. If the kids didn't pick up your toys and you just stayed really, really calm and it didn't bother you and you said it 50 times and it didn't bother you, then there would be no problem, right? The problem is that when they don't pick up their toys, you are 
psycho mom. Now we go dig a little further. Well, was it just this incident where your kid's like perfectly angelic all day and your husband chipped in or your wife chipped in and the work was evenly distributed and you got a break and then the kids didn't pick up their toys and you asked them once or twice and then you went psycho and they're like, no, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Right from the minute they would, I have parents unleash the fury of <laughs> I don't know, Greek gods. It's, it's amazing. Like when you give a mom, I don't know, 20 minutes to vent, holy shit, can she talk? And I'm sure everybody listening to this can sympathize. And again, I'm not being gender, like uh, super gender specific. I just find that this is much more quality of the females in the family than the males of the family. You went psycho because probably there is an unequal division of labor. Yeah, you probably don't get a break. You probably try to be all gentle and kind and loving and use all your good words, all your good patience, and these fuckers don't appreciate it. (laughs) So you blew up. So if you remember from the Psycho Mom episode, which go back and have a listen, Part of what happens with Psycho Mom is that we don't show true feelings, right? We we try, we put this cover on it. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, we don't use black Sharpie on the walls. Thank you. I'll take that now, right? No, 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 no. We don't throw baseballs at your sister's head. We try to be this like super calm, gentle, no discipline parent throughout the day. And we all lose it because you guys, it's a steam valve that's blocked up. So you are going to explode at some point, right? So that's the issue. The issue is something else. It's not the, it's not the listen. It's not the pick up the toys. Kids are going to be shitheads all day long. They are not going to listen. We don't have magical tools to make your kid. Of course we try to mitigate it. And that's why I wrote my book. And that's why I do this podcast. We try to do all the un, you know background stuff to help mitigate all that crappy behavior, but it doesn't matter. They're still going to be shitty and you're still going to lose your patience. It's how can we help you? That's the problem. Then we see the real solution. Okay. Going to give one last example. And this is a big one. And I don't, I think I've talked about it before on the podcast. It's a chapter in my book for sure. Dinner time, dinner time, bedtime, particularly that clusterfucky hour of like six o'clock. And it's of course, so crazy if both parents work outside the house. It's also very crazy even when one of the parents is a stay-at-home parent because the stay-at-home parent, this is always a clusterfuck because the stay-at-home parent has been home with the kids all day, super strung out, needs a break. The working parent comes home, has been working all day, super strung out, needs a break. So I, I do go over that in the book, this chapter too, because that's a real problem. So again, that solution is, and you guys, there's always a solution. Always. When you find the right problem, there is always a solution and there's always communication and you have to lean into both needs. So when I get confronted with this particular scenario, it's like a bit of marriage counseling. What happens is everybody gets super defensive on their side. I was with the kids all day. You got to, you got a break. And you have to understand for a stay-at-home parent, I don't care how stressful your work is your work looks like a break to the stay-at-home parent because you're not cleaning up poop and snot. You're not dealing with goldfish tantrums. You're not dealing with frozen two one more time. You're not dealing with the kid crap. So it looks like you are on a vacation. It really does. And even if your job is super stressful, it looks like you're on a vacation. So the working parent, 
who is dealing with stress and bringing home the bacon. It does look like the stay-at-home parent is on a little vacation. You get to stay home with the kids. You get all the love. They prefer you. You get to see the milestones. You get to see the tooth lost, yeah? So you have to lean into each other and the sympathies, okay? And then you can find the solution. And in the book, I list several solutions that clients have found. Um, Some clients would meet together at a playground as often as possible so that they both got on the bench time. They got this like neutral zone to chill out and the kids were busy. Some parents, um, if you can afford it, hire a mom's helper or babysitter just for that hour. So both parents get a little break. One uh, family, uh, the dad just loved to game. He wanted to come home and game. And to the wife, she was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I've been doing all this shit. And most of the time, the jobs that a stay-at-home parent does, they love those jobs. It's just trying to do those jobs with like two or three toddlers up your ass is really, really hard, right? So it's not like, chances are your wife might want to cook dinner as long as you got the kids, you know? It's trying to cook dinner with two kids hanging on your legs. That's not fun. So this solution was the dad took the kids gaming and the mom had to drop her video game, blah, blah, it's so horrible. And the dad like spent this awesome downtime, quality time with the kids gaming. And that was a solution. So again, your family solution might be there, but it's about asking the right question. So if you find that that time is particularly stressful for you guys, find the right problem without blaming. Yeah. And usually it's not just the kids. That's the witching hour for kids. And that time sucks. Oh my God. That's just the worst time. That's when you're going to get accidents. That's when you're going to get meltdowns. Right. But here's another thing that we have to reverse engineer. So within that clusterfuck, there's that, right. But then there's bedtime and time and time again, our kids are getting to bed phenomenally way too late with a very rare exception. And I'm talking one in, I don't know, thousands toddlers should be going to bed around seven o'clock, maybe 7.30. And that is 100% across the board. And you can argue me to the mat that you have a night owl and I'm willing to bet you don't. So I work with sleep experts. This is well-documented. They need tons of sleep. Seven o'clock, you should be aiming for seven o'clock. And then you go, yeah, Jamie, thanks. I'm a working mom and uh, my husband works and we get home and we pick the kids up from daycare by the time we get dinner on the table and all of this. and, And we, you know, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for seven o'clock because the best we can do is eight o'clock. And then my kid hasn't seen me all day and they want five more stories and I have to sing nine more songs and then they won't get to bed. Right. And I know I'm not trying to, I'm not at all trying to pile more guilt on the working parents because I know the world gives you plenty. Just stop being defensive and say, what is the problem? What's the problem? And the biggest problem is kids are getting bed too late, too late because parents want to spend time with their kids, right? You worked all day. You were home at six. Now you got, you know, I'm telling you to put your kid to bed in the next hour, right? And you got to get dinner on the table. You got to get a healthy meal in your kid. You got to sit around the dinner table and talk about your day. And then you got to start the bedtime routine. And your kid by now really wants to see you and you really want to spend time with your kids. So we start reverse engineering it. And if you know, I'm 100% where this is going is the three or four o'clock dinner for the kids. Okay. Because the number one thing is your child wants to connect to you. Now, believe me, if you have this situation and nothing is broke, do not try to fix it, right? So if your life is great, your kid goes to bed at nine, lays their head down, there is no issue, sleeps well, is not cranky, all is good in the hood, perfectly night trained, fine, totally rock it. I I am so willing to be wrong. I'm so willing to hear that you have the unicorn kid. That's awesome. However, for most people, this isn't the case. So we reverse engineer it. If 
you get home and dinner takes an hour. You're already feeding your kid too late. They've passed, you know, just like circadian rhythms, we have food windows. And there's a reason why at three or four o'clock, your kid is ravenous. That's their food rhythm. Yeah. And I don't, I'm sure there's a technical name for it, but it's not circadian rhythm, you know, but it's, it's their food rhythm. So what most parents do is they feed a snack. The kid gobbles the snack at four and then, of course, isn't hungry for dinner. Then you sit down and you try to have a meal because, you know, all the studies show that sit-down dinners are the way to work, right? Like, you know, if you don't sit down with your kids, you're going to have a broken connection and you're raising a sociopath, right? So we know that that's well-documented. So you're going to sit with your kids and the baby, even though your toddler's sliding off the chair, ridiculously grumpy, doesn't really have conversational skills at this time and won't eat the food. So you're sitting and spending your meal and your connection time with your kids, your spouse, your family saying one more bite, come on, one more bite, one more bite, right? Dude, ditch this, ditch this. (laughs) Your kids want connection. You want connection. Feed them something healthy and it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to, you don't have to test their taste buds every day of the week. Okay. It doesn't have to be fancy. It has to be nutritious. You know, the, the charcuterie boards were the rage for the pandemic because with kids home from school, we found out that they really do eat all day long, <laughs> which we homeschoolers knew. But these like, you know, like an antipasto plate or something, you know, some meat, some vegetables, some fruit, make it easy and stuff the men. And then they can maybe have a little, a little snack later instead. Right. And maybe you and your spouse enjoy dinner after the kids go to bed. Imagine that. Imagine connecting with your spouse over food that's not interrupted by toddlers. Imagine coming home. If you have a a, a, a nanny, a babysitter, daycare, you can bring them a second lunch, a hearty meal for, you know, aftercare if they're at daycare. All these are, you know, various solutions Get the kids fed. And then what if you were to spend the time you get home from work till bedtime connecting with your child, playing games, paying attention to them, giving them all that energy, that emotional bucket filling that they've missed out on for you. So then you have one or two hours of this rich connection time. Kids go to bed easily. They go to bed way earlier. You have time with your spouse. That's nice because everybody fucking got along. So you and your spouse aren't at each other's throats. This is like a win, 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 win. But you've got to look at the right problem. So parents will argue with this, you know, this idea. They'll they'll argue it with me over and over again. They're like, but I have to. You have a whole childhood to sit down to family dinner. And let me tell you something. I have seen it. You know, of course, it's just me and Pascal. So it's not like a, a big family dinner. But we don't need to connect over food. We need to connect in other ways. Now, because we homeschool, it's different. But like with a teenager, the family meal becomes so important because they become peer-oriented. They want to be off with their friends. So you've got to provide this like solid grounding base for them. And you're like, no, you hell no, you're coming. And kids love this, even though they pretend to hate it. You know, you're sitting at my, you know, you're having dinner at my house. You can bring your friends. We're connecting. We're having family dinner. Family dinner becomes important when your kids start going to school and get peer oriented and want to pull away from you. Again, you want to be the grounding base for your kids. You don't need that when they're a toddler. You need good nutrition and good sleep and good connection. So night times are so miserable for so many parents, but again, particularly the working parents, because you're missing out. You're, you're spending precious time fighting or on miserable things. And again, if you get home, you get dinner on the table, everything's fine. Don't listen to me. And then there's always, but I I can't, how am I supposed to cook? You guys were in the age of the Instapot, pressure cookers, HelloFresh, 
You can freeze meals on Sunday. There's so many ways to get dinner on the table in five minutes or less. And I worked with a client whose husband insisted on these elaborate meals. And I was like, well, then he's got to deal with the child too. Cause you don't, it's, it can't be always on one parent to do everything. So that's another big, big time. So again, the idea, you know, I hope I provided you with actual solutions for these three really hot topics, but more than anything, I wanted you to hear the pattern of my thinking when I'm working with a family is asking the right questions and seeing what the real problem is underneath what you're saying is the problem. So always question why, why am I thinking? Why do I think this is an issue? Yeah. And you know, like in the case of the night training, don't be afraid of your answers. If the answer is I want time by myself, I don't want to wake up yet. That's okay. Like you can, you can be selfish in that context. So I feel like that's what happens too. As parents dance around, they like, well, no, he just needs more sleep. And it turns out you need more sleep and that's okay. (laughs) You count. You're part of this relationship. You know, you're, you're a huge part of this relationship. So just pay attention to that. The pattern of thinking is what's important. So I think X, Y, and Z is an issue. Why is it a problem? And then the solutions become apparent. And I don't know what is happening in the world that we seem to be really short on creative thinking right now. I'm going to say this again. I said it very adamantly a bit earlier. There is always a solution when you land on the right problem. Okay. And again, working with your family coming out of the pandemic where marriages either got stronger or weaker. Yeah. Try not to lay blame. If the minute you feel yourself accusing the other person or feeling resentful, try to frame it in the I, like an I statement. Right. And it's really funny. I have a hard relationship with my sister and she doesn't believe in therapy or anything. And she was like, I said, you know, you got to keep it in the I statement. You're really, you're accusing me of a lot of things. You got to keep it in the I statement. She goes, well, I think you're, and I was like, no, 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 no. The I doesn't refer to like you just say I and then you accuse the person of something. What I statement refers to is keeping it in your feelings. So like I feel strung out at the end of the day and I feel like I need a more equitable division of labor. So that's keeping it in the I. Not I feel like you're a jerk when you get home and you don't help me. (laughs) That's not how the I statement works. But really, 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 when you guys can meet in the middle and for a large portion of this stuff, these are partner decisions, right? These are partner solutions. Your spouse or partner should be involved. And so, you know, managing that relationship as you're communicating this stuff is as equally as important as the pattern of thinking. So really try to come to the table without any blame, without resentment. Figure out that's your work. Figure out why am I resentful? Oh, I'm resentful because it's not because he comes home and doesn't play with the kids, right? That's not why you're resentful. You're resentful because you don't get a break. That's slightly different, right? And so when you come at somebody with like, you do this wrong, as opposed to this is what I need, how can we make that happen? Night and day, right? You can just, it's it's totally different. And uh, yeah, this is part of my uh, nonviolent communication, which I'm so high on right now. Anyway, you guys, I'm gonna log off now. I hope that was tremendously helpful for you. I hope by this time, by the time you're hearing this, I am firmly in constant, my, in my new home, whatever. And I'm, uh, I'm out in the woods having fun and being feral. All right, you guys, rock on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. 
And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.